Hey everyone, welcome to the Promethean Tides. Uh, I am General, and as always, I'm joined by Breaker. How's it going, Breaker? Come on, man. America. If you don't vote for me, then you ain't black. That is, that is, that is most likely true. Uh, we are also uh, joined uh, by a great guest here. This is uh, Apocrypha. How's it going, Apocrypha? Going well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, for this uh, for this show, we're going to go through about maybe ten minutes of politics, and then we're going to get more into uh, science, philosophy, and the philosophy of science, uh, probably. Uh, remember to uh, like and subscribe. Uh, we we appreciate it. It really helps the show uh, if you do so. So if if you like what we're doing here, uh, please uh, uh, like and subscribe. Breaker, you have remember a... every like and subscription is like a node of light. A thousand points of light. Stay the course. <laughs> uh, yeah. Words that subscription. Press the like and smash that bell. You know you want to. Yeah, smash, smash that bell and the and all all the buttons. Smash all the buttons. Words words of wisdom right here. Uh, so, uh, on the news docket, we have. Um, the Chinese, uh, it was a Chinese news station. Of course, the Chinese news stations are, contro are controlled directly by the CCP, so it's just a mouthpiece of China. Uh, China threatened to, uh, shoot down, uh, Nancy Pelosi's, uh, plane, uh, as she was heading into to Taiwan. That's Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. So, uh... Why would they want to shoot down a humble stock market investor? See that that's a, that's a fair point. It's not her, it's her husband. He's the wizard. We respect <laughs> women on this show, good sir. You just along for the ride. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, it's 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 her it's her it's her husband that makes the investments. It's her that gets right. the stock tips. So mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting arrangement, isn't it? Well, you can, you too, can follow Nancy Pelosi's portfolio if you go online and look around. I'm not going to mention the place that does it because they've been banned everywhere. But uh, there is a place that scrapes uh, the stock market to find out what they're investing in. And you too can invest just like they do if you want to. This is not financial advice. No, this is not financial advice. But historically speaking, they have done pretty damn well for themselves uh and uh well, they have an average of 20 percent return year on year baby i mean that's actually crazy they're way outpacing right? the snp <laughs> it's amazing i mean they're better than some hedge funds i mean you know uh i think that uh, i think ryan long uh he actually did a, a sketch um this week about exactly this joke but it's like hey you know uh if you want to if you really want the best investment advice marry nancy pelosi or someone like her and then she can she can give you tips about uh what laws will or will not be passed that will affect you know one company versus another and uh you can use that as a legal version of insider trading <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so. Oh just, God! Oh. You mean uh, all I have to do is basically marry fucking Gollum? I'd rather live in the poorhouse. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Like, here's the thing: twenty percent return per year on my investment. I might fuck the crypt keeper in order to gain that. <laughs> well, well, you could you could pick one. You could always pick one member of the squad. All right, yeah, that's true. I would much rather fuck AOC than Nancy Pelosi. I'm just gonna say it. Everyone's <laughs> favorite big booty Latinx, or so I've heard oh, from various alt right racists. <laughs> who was it who said that? That was that was that was actually a uh, that was actually a Republican commenter, wasn't it? I forget his name. Yeah, it was some kind uh, of comedian. I could. That was really funny. I could I, I could look it up, but yeah, it was a uh, it was some some. Uh, right-leaning guy that said big booty latina i think he was trying to rile her up just for the for the laughs well i mean if you listen to the story i don't remember his name but i remember the story which is basically he he kind of you know intentionally ran into her and started talking to her and he said that to her face and she laughed and she as she was walking away from him she said i love you you're great oh right so none of it she didn't know who he was and then you put it up online, and then she kind of flipped her shit. So, oh well, she enjoyed. Yeah, she was. Him, she enjoyed. She was probably. Art. Yeah. Well, when she was like all, uh, seemed to be on board with it to his face. I think yeah. a lot of that is probably because she was in full on. PR press mode, like politicians, they they get to the point where they flip the switch in their brain. It's like. Kiss babies and shake hands and say, I love you, you're wonderful to everyone. And they just kind of run on autopilot, not even really paying attention to what the other people are saying. Just like, look good for PR purposes. That could be true. I don't know. Yeah, she, she was probably just saying, you know, thank you. She thought he was a fan, like, you know, random guy going, hey, yo, you got a nice booty. And, uh... She probably just just tried to say thank you and yeah. Well, anyway, uh, point being, it is uh, online. You be the judge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the The point is that uh, the the Chinese uh, were threatening to shoot down uh, Nancy Pelosi's plane. Uh, yeah. Of course, they they're they're not they're not fucking going to. But uh, yeah, uh, I guess uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi will be visiting Taiwan. I don't know if she's landed yet or if i i'm not sure what the time schedule is but uh i i'm also uncertain as to why it is that nancy pelosi is specifically visiting taiwan uh i uh i know that they are a very important manufacturer for semiconductors uh, for the united states uh the senate uh recently passed a bill that would bring semi-manufacturing back into America, giving subsidies to uh, uh, the creation of those factories because they effectively don't exist in America. I'm very much in support of this. I believe that uh, uh, we we should make America less dependent on Taiwan, a, a nation that is not officially recognized by the UN. Uh, yeah. So, uh, overall, I don't know why Nancy Pelosi is going there. Uh, China is, uh, uh, rattling its, 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 uh, its, its drum for war, I suppose. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But, uh, yeah, that was the thing I, that happened. I'd be surprised if, uh, Nancy Pelosi's stock portfolio suddenly has a lot of semiconductor producers on it. 
Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be a major surprise. Uh, so there's that. Uh, also, uh, we have seen that Biden has uh, COVID again. So he had COVID. He uh, tested positive while he was having COVID. They treated him. Then I think it was like four or five days. He tested negative. They tested him every day. Uh, and then on uh, on like the sixth or seventh day, uh, he tested he positive again. So Biden has COVID again. Maybe I don't know what to make of this. I, I don't know what to make of it either. And, and and the thing about the PCR tests, as you know, is that they aren't supposed to be diagnostic anyway. Um. Well, these the, these were not uh, PCR tests. These were the uh, the antigen tests, which are uh, much more reliable. Yeah, but the antigen tests only work after you've finished having it. Mm -hmm. Right? Am I wrong about that? Uh, the IgG the IgG antibody test. Well, you can. I uh, that would be the that would be the test for the that's the antibody test. There's the right. antigen and then the antibody test. The antigen test oh, and the antibody test. I see. But uh, yeah, so apparently maybe he has COVID again. I don't know. Um, the fact is is that a lot of these tests uh, have been shown to not be really that reliable. Um, they were kind of rushed into manufacturing and. Uh, they're kind of a, a crapshoot. I, I would assume that they're probably giving the best available tests to the President of the United States, but uh, I I guess uh, we'll... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that either. I guess maybe Biden has COVID again, maybe not. I'm surprised that COVID didn't kill him. Um, I'm glad that it didn't kill him, but I'm surprised that it didn't. You know what? People talking about things like this, you know what, it, it, this gives me the sensation that everyone that's in the know, in the big mover and shaker camp, none of them really believe most of this shit at his senior moments and all this fucking Politburo approved, totally non-fake news that is 100% reliable. Because if they did sincerely take this type of stuff on board, the movers and shakers would be freaking upset in the apple cart of the stock market on so many levels that you wouldn't believe. And the fact that that doesn't seem to be happening after the president says he has cancer COVID lets you know that the people in the know know this is bullshit in theater. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to tell what's theater and what's not now. That, that's the real problem we're facing. They say, oh, he has COVID, but it's like, does he really? Did they even test him? Oh, you mean Did the president not? could die? Well, let me not change my stock portfolio at all. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that, that that's more like people, either they don't believe it or they don't think he's consequential. Well, there was a, um, uh, th th there was a, a video that came out and, uh, like, there was two videos that were released from the White House in the same day. One of them was regular Biden, and then the other one was, like, Biden with wide eyes, speaking very... And a, a rock-solid frozen forehead. <laughs> yes, not not blinking, and he was speaking very firmly. Actually, like, like as a president, maybe he should speak. 
Uh, without all the gaffes, he was articulate, he was speaking very clearly, his eyes were wide. Uh, there has been some people uh, saying that perhaps it was one of those uh, deep fakes, and I, I saw the difference between the two videos, and I'll tell you what, I would not be surprised if that was a form of a deep fake. Well, well, either it was, it was a deep fake, or he had he called in Hunter and said, "Hunter, I need to take a hit from that fucking pipe. I got a thing to say." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was a pretty bad deep fake if he didn't blink the whole time. Good point. Good point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we don't know what's going on, but it, it looks to me, um, on first flush, with no information but just perception, that what's going on is that. Um, they're basically drugging him up whenever they feel they can get away with it to get him to some level of clarity so he can make a public statement. That's that's what it looks like. I don't think I don't think he's in control of himself. I don't think he's in control of anything around him. Um, that's that's what it looks like to me, and uh, it's unfortunate. So you you think it might be uh, instead of like a, a deep fake, you think it might be I don't know methamphetamines or something. <laughs> I think methamphetamine is probably the old way of doing it. Like, like back in you know back in the day, that's what most people don't know this, but um, Monsieur Adolf, he uh, was a big meth guy. He used to take cocktails, uh, including methamphetamine and cocaine and things like that, um, to before his speeches to give him more give it more punch. Oh, okay. So like that was eighty years ago. Who knows what? Our politicians are on now. Yeah, exactly. We have no yeah. idea. We don't know. I mean, the, the, I could I could speculate, but I'm just I'm just going to say it appears as if it appears to me, and has since the, nearly the beginning, since before he was elected, that he's not his own man. He's being controlled by like a puppet. It, that's what it looks like to me. I wonder. I so I, I actually, I totally agree with you. Um, I don't think that he's making most of the policy decisions, but then the question is, who is? It's, well, it's, not, gonna, it's not Kamala. Kamala's not making the decisions. She's I'm uh, not going to speculate. I'm not going to speculate on that other than to say it might be someone whose name rhymes with Kamala. See, hmm. I, I, don't, I don't think it's Kamala because I don't think that, like, I... No, no, I'm not saying it's Kamala. I'm saying it's not Kamala. Right, right. Well, I, my stance is that specifically, I don't think it can be Kamala who is making the decisions no. because I think that she is, uh, to say it lightly, not very bright. Uh, no. So I, I don't think that she has it within her to actually uh, even try to govern the White House. Uh, maybe Biden could have attempted to do it like uh, twenty years twenty years ago before he got senile, but. Uh, yeah, I, my, my question is this: Who's writing those cards? Uh, yeah, right. Who is writing those cards? Because that 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 is who is in charge. Yes. In sentence, repeat the line. <laughs> yeah. uh, what? What? You what we? What, down, you sit down in your chair. Yeah. <laughs> here, here's here's the issue, though. What what we have is the person who is in charge of the nation, which is not Biden, not Kamala, it's someone who is not elected. Wh whoever yeah. it is, they're not elected. The people did not choose them. They're they're a 
some I, I I don't know if they're like a an asset of of some uh, deep state fucking CIA whatever I have no idea, but I uh, they whoever they are they must be deciding the policies and Jesus Christ is that dangerous? Yes. Well, like I said, I, I, I think whoever it is, their name might rhyme with Komala. There you go. You know, I think it would actually be more dangerous if it was actually Biden making the real decision at this point. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so wh whoever is actually pulling the strings of Alzheimer's howdy doody, in, in all sincerity, is probably doing all of us a massive favor. Well, I, I wouldn't say that with gas prices at over five dollars and all the other things that are going on. Yeah, it's been it's been brutal. Uh, in fact, uh, I think that we uh, we're we're in a recession. Everyone knows that we're in a recession. The gas prices are through the roof. Um, yeah. The price of food is through the roof. And by the way, it's going to keep going higher. Um, the ability to actually eat a steak is going to be reserved for only those that are at the okay. highest echelons of, of, of society. I have to disagree with you. Okay. Um, let me just drop something in. I think... So what I'm seeing is this. I'm, I'm actually... So I, I've, we can talk about my career and stuff and the things I know and stuff like that, but lately what I've been doing is getting interested in homesteading. Oh, like Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The past couple of years. Yeah. No, not with Bill Gates. No. Um, not at that level. <laughs> and I've been a fan of a guy named Joel Salatin for a long time. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No. But he, he calls himself a Christian anarchist, libertarian, farmer, lunatic. That's, um, that's, that's pretty based. He is based. He is based. Um, Joel Salatin runs a farm in Virginia called Polyface Farms. It's 1,000 acres. And he has other he has other he has some other land on lease and he has people working with him and right now his farm is doing a few million a year in business on a thousand acres. And he's only farming, you know, like a portion of that. Most of what he sells is meat and eggs. And he is right now selling meat at a price that's below market because he doesn't have any fucking verticals. All of his meat is pasture-raised. The only input he has is chicken feed, and that's local. He gets from a local who also doesn't use many inputs. So he's done everything in his power over the past 30 years to get rid of all the, all the inputs from his system and to be pure output just by using nature to its own benefit. Oh, wow. Now, all of a sudden, when the inputs start getting expensive and meat starts getting expensive, People like him can still sell meat at the same price they've been selling it at. That's... So he's actually, he's selling, what I'm saying is, Joel Salatin sells grass-fed, grass-raised, pastured beef. At least for a while, he was, I know for a fact, he was selling it at less per pound than Costco was selling the trash. Holy shit, dude, that's, I mean, that's pretty smart. Fuck. Yeah, because he has no inputs. He has no middlemen. He doesn't have to go through meat plants because he and two other farmers own their own abattoir. So he doesn't have to go through a third party for processing. He owns his own processing plant. 
He did all of this to get out from under. And because of that, now he's situated to just continue. So, and, and, I'm, and, and now I'm showing him, that, and he is just one example. I'm not saying this is, <clears throat> I don't know what the extent of this is, but I will say that there are a lot of people doing everything from urban gardening to country homesteading on small parcels of land. And they are able to, I will tell you right now, they are able to produce between three and eight times more produce per acre than industrial method. Why? Because they use intensive management. Oh, intensive. oh, they use uh, things like uh, like uh, crop rotation. Yeah, crop rotation. They use, they use various permaculture methods, water entrainment, nutrient entrainment. Um, and they use the synergies of their environment. They, don't mo they generally don't monocrop. So they generally will plant a crop, but they'll plant it with another crop. So that the crop has to be harvested by hand. It can't be harvested by combine. And that's why industrial farming doesn't want to do it. But the amount of pounds per acre that come off, in terms of tons per acre, that come off land like that, it's between three and eight times more than industrial land, believe it or not. And so it's just the reason industry doesn't do it is because you have to hire people to pick it. You have to hire lots of people to pick it. That's why strawberries are expensive. You ever wonder why strawberries are so expensive? Because strawberry, they haven't invented a machine yet that can pick them and not damage them. So you have to pick them by hand. I see. So that's, why that's why they're expensive. But Expensive compared to what? As soon as the shortages push the food prices at two and three times the price, suddenly all these people selling boutique goods that used to be twice the price are cheaper than what's offered in the market. Right, right. The, uh, uh, the industrial scale uh manufacturing of, or, or uh, uh, the, the, industri the industrial scale, scale farming Right. Um, that works when you have a global system that can constantly supply you with more fertilizer, more everything that you need. Yeah. But right. in fact, if you're cut off from that, then the uh, the the slightly smaller scale, uh, having a farm where the human is actually attentive to the land and they understand how it is that the crops have to rotate, how it is that you 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 can best uh, 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 harvest these these uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, that that actually becomes more economically viable as uh, the the economy shuts down. Correct. Yeah, 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 absolutely. These aren't, dumb, these aren't dumb people. They're using cutting edge horticultural science to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. We're talking about. I mean, I'm not. These aren't just dumb farmers from the 19th century types. We're talking about individuals that are. What they're doing is they've been. Ex people don't know. <laughs> it's amazing. People don't know any of this, but people have been experimenting with bioculture for the past 50 years. The hippies didn't die off. They just, people just started ignoring them. But, like, I don't know if you know this, 5% of Korea's farmland is farmed by a method called Jadam, J-A-D-A-M, ultra-low-cost, excuse me, ultra-low-cost farming, which essentially removes almost all inputs. Well, and I, I, I want to point out Good. that actually, uh, uh, when, when it comes to... Um... A lot of the crops that uh, exist within America, or, or yeah. also, uh, you know, in the rest of the world, uh, a lot of the crops were actually GMO before we had GMO. 
what they did was they they exposed the plants to radiation oh the atomic yes the atomic stuff yeah 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 yeah, that was interesting and we we actually got some cultures of plants from just exposing the plants to a shit ton of radiation changing them and picking the best ones we actually got some of our more staple crops from uh yeah the the uh, radiation gardening yeah i remember i remember reading about that it was fascinating um <clears throat> that there are a few varieties of corn and wheat that still today are being used that came from that um but um there are also i mean you can just look online heirloom seed companies are bursting at the seams for business like they're just People can't get enough of heirloom seeds. And you might wonder why. What's the big deal with heirloom seeds? Well, heirloom seeds aren't hybrids. They're not atomic seeds. They're just normal seeds that were... They may have been bred and rebred normally, but they're just normal seeds. And, and that means that the plants that you grow with them breed true, which means you can grow an heirloom plant, and when it fruits and drops its seeds, you can use those seeds to grow more of it as opposed to hybrids and GMO, which you can't. So people have been going back to heirloom seeds. They've been going back. I mean, just gardeners all over the country have been doing this. So going back to what I originally said and why I disagree with you, that I don't think that what will happen is that the stakes will become uh, reserved for the very few. I don't think that's the case because there's far too many people right now running animals on their land and running their own abattoir and so on legally it's not like they they may only be three percent of the current production but they exist right well and i i i i would push back because um look you can you can do uh gmo and or nuclear gardening on your plants they're, they tend to be extremely hardy, but when it comes to cows, uh, they're a little a little bit more of a complex beast. Right. So uh, well, when 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 you have, uh, I mean, okay, so America, we have a shit ton of cows, but in order to sustain the cows, we have to basically feed them uh, a little bit of grass and a shit ton of corn. Uh, that's actually not. That's actually not. Not so. And okay. it, that's what we do, but it's not true that that's how we have to do it. What uh, um, what, what is a uh, what would be a a mechanism that is less reliant on globalism by which we could feed our cows? So Joel Salat, like I mentioned, Joel Salatin has proven that you can raise three to five times more um, more meat on the same land as standard ranching, like what you just described, using his method. All, all he does. This is hilarious. So basically what he does is he watches the grass. He makes sure the grass isn't overgrazed. So he calls it the law, of the, the law of the second bite. You never want a cow to bite the grass twice. So he mob stocks them. Basically what he does is he, he herds them into squares of pasture that are a little bit too small. So they get a... They, it's, not, it's not like they don't have room to run around. They do. But... They don't have huge expanses of area to wander around in. They're kind of, they're, they're mobbed together a little bit. And then what he does is he leaves them there for one day. And then he goes and he opens a fence line and they move to the next pasture. It's basically small pastures with lots of cows. Then what he does is he comes in 
a couple of days later with his eggmobile. So the chickens come in, they scratch up the manure and distribute it for him across the pasture. They deposit their own manure and they eat the grubs and bugs and so on. They, they also perform a pest control function. And he gets eggs from them. The eggs that he sells pays for the chicken mobile. And so what, what this method he's been using, and what he did was he figured out <clears throat> mathematically how many cow acres he had, right? So he, he uses a term called cow acres, like how many cows per acre can I get if I change my method? So if, his, his reasoning is this. If I can get 20% more cows on the same acre, it's just like having 20% more land. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, no, that makes total sense. That's actually uh, using you're you're using the plants and the livestock through rotation in order to maximize the health the, and growth. What what yeah. you can get out of the land? Yeah, no, that's, that's right. super smart. Yeah, and so his his for, so using these methods, um, he's managed to uh, create a system that essentially gets between three and five times more cows per acre than the method you just described. Even as soon as you take into, in other words, if you factor in the amount of land that it takes to grow the corn and the CAFO facilities and the pasture that they do give them, it's Joel is able to do it on three to five times less land than that because he doesn't feed them corn. They only eat grass. He never feeds them corn, ever. He never feeds them grain. They never get grain. They live on grass their whole lives. Wow. So, well, so so what 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 you're saying, uh, I guess, is that uh, the the way that we've been doing farming has been right. highly industrial and sort of like a, 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 almost like a, um, a, a what what's the word a, a, a it's like a factory, right? We've yeah, been... it's a sense of treating animals like a factory, and it, it's like you're. You, I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense from a mechanistic. It's like, so what you want, if you what you want to do, is to create lots of industries with lots of jobs for lots of people. Right. You string it out. So you've got the cow facility, then you've got the, you've got all the veterinary stuff, you've got all the construction and all the maintenance stuff in the cow facility. Then you've got all the transportation for the grain. That's more jobs. Then you've got all the grain itself, which is farming jobs. And then that farming job, the farmers need fertilizer and um, equipment, so that's more jobs. You see, so but what what in, the in, system does is yeah. In in fact, the 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 more efficient way to do it when it comes to uh, the amount of land per, I guess, a unit of nutrition that you can produce from the land. Right. Right. is is actually um, it's not to do it on the massive industrial scale treating all land the same just put cows here put corn here right. feed the corn to the cows no actually different pieces of land require some amount of intelligence in order to optimize and actually perhaps that is uh the more efficient way of farming you have to it's it's and actually i i this would be taking it farming back to the roots of how humans used to do it before the industrial level of of agriculture that we that we had in the in the 20th uh, 19th and 20th century in a sense that's true but we have a lot more scientific knowledge now about how to do it 
So right. we wouldn't be we would what we wouldn't be doing like they did. Like you know, it, it's widely understood that the reason that many areas in the Middle East are desert regions now is because of overgrazing. So we wouldn't do that. We just wouldn't do that, right? We would we would do more rotation. We'd plant different kinds of plants. We'd be, do exclusionary zones and all of that. And that's just the beginning. Like there are many, 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 many horticultural discoveries that have happened in the last hundred years that would make, well, we'll call it yeoman farming, just for a word for it, that would make yeoman farming a lot less likely to fail than it would have been in the 18th century. Because there's just so much information now. Plus we have irrigation, we have modern materials, we have like, one of the reasons he can do this so cheaply, by the way, Joel Salatin, is because of electric fencing. Mm, right, yeah. I so I, so I I I will say that uh this actually this what you're describing it sounds like a almost like a a second uh agricultural revolution something yeah. that that can that can uh uh, uh succeed the industrial uh revolution of agriculture. Yeah. And if if that's the yeah. case, I mean I think that, that sounds awesome. I suppose that uh ultimately we 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 will we will see if if the market deems it to be uh the better or the not better choice uh ultimately the the market decides it um well if if yeah i mean well i mean the market isn't magic i mean it's people and their needs and wants so if well the market is a little bit magic a little bit only because it's so complex and it kind of makes weird decisions that we don't quite understand that's true well because it has it has emergent properties so the yeah, the, the the market uh, it, let me let me say this uh, the market is smarter than any individual human and also smarter than really any group of humans uh because if if any individual human or any group of humans could solve the market then they would become fabulously rich uh no one can solve the market because it's an emergent system and so it kind of it does what it wants uh to a certain extent we're kind of at the beck and call of the market we created something that actually actively controls us uh interesting factor there and so uh the the market uh will decide if uh this version of agriculture and uh, uh, animal rearing works out. Uh, from what you're saying, I suspect it will. Um, uh, I think so too, because the, well, first of all, the product is is cleaner and better for you. It's another, but even if that's not taken into account, ultimately, it's more resilient. Like essentially, if the market decides that resilience is more important than cost, then all of a sudden it'll win and oh yeah yeah instantly yeah yeah and with food shortages on the horizon let me put it to you this way um i've been hearing from homesteading channels that people are getting mobbed with demand for product they can't keep up people who are having trouble marketing their goods now all of a sudden they're getting phone calls every single day from people who want to buy truckloads of produce and, and meat every single day well, uh, I mean, especially right now, uh, given the uh, the the recession that we're in, uh, and to, to to take it back to the uh, to the original uh, topic, uh, yeah, we we are one hundred percent in a recession, and um, 
the the White House has attempted to define their way out of of us being in a recession. They're like, oh no, we're not. No, we're we're clearly in a recession. Um, and orders of negative growth. That's it. Well, and I I, I think <laughs> I, I I think clearly we are we're not just in a recession. We're in uh, I think an era of stagflation. So we have inflation and stagnation of the economy. Uh, I think that things are going to uh, continue to get worse, but here's the thing, right? Like, when things get really bad, that is uh, the uh, innovation is, is the, is, sorry, uh, adversity is the mother of innovation. So yes. the more adversity you have, the more innovation you have, and we will eventually get out of this uh, economic recession. And with what you were saying about the um the the homesteading and the crop rotation i that is one of the avenues out of this and so yeah. you know to a certain extent maybe actually it's it's healthy to have the occasional recession well i mean I, yeah i mean it's it's you know if if you're in a situation where you're clearly selling a better product and nobody seems to want to buy it even though it's worth more you have to wonder what's going on, um, and and you know you so you kind of ha at some point adversity has to occur because reality, propaganda, and market manipulation can only go so far. Reality right. always yeah. nature nature always bats last. Yeah, so, yeah, it does. So it doesn't matter how much manipulation you push. Ultimately, nature bats last, and if people can just hold on. Until <clears throat> the propaganda fails, then they can win, and so that's that's what you're. I yeah. think that's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there are the innovative solutions, which have been being artificially suppressed through regulation and taxation and so on, will rise up and win, because you. I mean, they can't not, right? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um the way speaking again of that biden the tale of two biden's debacle if you remember what he was actually talking about during that video it answers a question you've been having for the last several episodes general chief of why did he release all those strategic oil reserves well the reason he gave for that was basically to temporarily decrease well he didn't word it like this but it was to temporarily decrease the gas prices by flooding the market with supply so That's the price would said yeah artificially go down but it's a, so we both dumb. know how economics work that's not going to last but it, right. it temporarily affects the gas price temporarily hopefully long enough for the midterm because he's trying to buy some political points is probably the you see what did i tell you it's either he's trying to buy political points or he's just off the there, there was actually a reason whether or not he organically came up with that himself oh. pat on the head is a question but yeah it it, it could very well be that biden will deplete the united states oil reserves to lower the gas prices artificially so mm. that so that the democrats have a better time in the midterms and yeah i'm the president that got the gas prices down yay vote for me if that dude if that's the case that's so that's so fucked because why would you deplete the strategic pet uh, uh, petroleum reserves just for an election? 
holy shit if 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 biden is doing that he is literally selling america out for the democrats essentially if that is the case uh i like to think that actually he's 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 doing it just to get rich himself but (laughs) i don't know it's so fucked talk amongst yourselves for a moment gentlemen i have to restart my computer uh, fair enough. Uh, well, uh, anyway, uh, so uh, apocrypha. Uh, you, uh, from what I've heard, uh, I, I, you and I haven't talked um, uh, before, but I, I understand that you've talked to Breaker before, uh, and he tells me that you have a a very uh, interesting career. You were involved in. Um, uh, uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, you were yep. part of, uh, I guess, the the internet or something. Can uh, can you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, well, I'm an older fellow. <laughs> um, so you're, you're you're about a Biden's age. Okay, I got it. No, not that old. Thank God. Um, no, I'm still Gen X, just barely. Um, I started working in tech pre-1995. And, well, I mean, I was doing bulletin board services and hooking into pad networks and DARPANET back in the 80s, just kind of as a thing, right? I wasn't being paid for it. I was just doing it. So pre-public internet, I was still, I was doing, I was running software and I was running a bulletin board and doing all of that stuff, right? Um, And eventually that turned into going to college for physics and mathematics, and then I got access to all of those resources, and I just went from there. And pre-95, I started working in tech, and um, eventually I got to work for a couple of um, ISPs back in the middle mid 90s that were just setting up so um i personally um connected a whole bunch of dark fiber fresh dark fiber into various bits and pieces of equipment in various places around the country that probably are still being used right now Um, wow. So that's kind of my link. Like some of the packets we're using right now to talk to each other might be going over, probably are going over fiber that I personally that I touch, like with my hand. Well, you you um, you laid down the fiber. No, I connected the fiber that was on prem into the equipment that was being installed. So oh wow. There was a time. There was a big growth period in the nineties where. Lots and lots and lots of telecom resources were being repurposed, and things were changing. We're going from phone switches to digital. I participated in some of the first SS7 soft switch technology that was created back then, which people probably don't. You can look it up. SS7. Signaling System 7, it was used on the phone network to do all sorts of things. Um, And I worked on one of the soft switches, which is essentially using a whole bank of Solaris uh, sun machines, basically, to do the switching instead of using a giant phone switch, you know, one of the giant Nortel phone switches or whatever. Um, 
so that was key technology and it was interesting working on that i mean i literally built a whole bunch of level three facilities from the ground up walked into the room they have bolts sticking out of the floors and it was my job to set up all the racks and all the equipment and then turn them all on and then basically back then you didn't have a lot of specialists you had a lot of you had, everybody was generalist at the time so everybody had the code everybody had to know hardware everybody had to be able to swing a wrench so i came up during that time and eventually that led me into being an architect being an architect sort of like a systems architect so i worked for uh, a number of organizations and then i worked for a telecom firm for a while worked for two different telecom firms and um, learned a lot uh, basically i installed um experimental cell t- uh, experimental cell service stations um so basically, I've had a very interesting t- time. Um, when I was in the Bay Area for a while, I was working for an organization that was also a telecom firm. And so I did a lot of work with big data and traffic and verity. So we, I mean, I was all, I, so in other words, most of what I always did was 24-7 availability stuff. Like stuff that, you know, it costs thousands per minute or second if it went down. Um, if not tens of thousands, you know, at the time that was a lot. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of the rough edges. Um, and I've been doing that for a long time. I've been doing it ever since the mid nineties. And, um, now I, I kind of laid back a little bit and I'm, I'm now I'm working for, as for a small tech firm and doing, um, just basically DevOps work, which if anybody's out there that knows DevOps, they'll know what I'm talking about. So development operations. So that's, mm. I, I basically leaned back a little bit, got away from telecom and decided to do DevOps for a while. Because I'm just, you know, I, the work I was doing was amazing, but it burns you out. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of an overview. Do you have any questions? Like, yeah, I, uh, uh, so what, uh, I, I don't personally know what uh, DevOps is. What, what is that? Development operations, DevOps is, they're the people in between the software engineers and the hardware that actually delivers the service. Oh. So development operations is responsible for the development cycle itself, as well as the deployment of the code. So DevOps are the people who actually take the code and make it, put it onto live resources so we can use them. Um, so the, and they're kind of the, they're the gatekeepers between all the software engineers and the real asset. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I actually have a uh, a bit of a background in uh, uh, coding myself. Uh, so, uh, my my background is science, but um, you know, sometimes in science, it's it's just it's more efficient to just write your own script to do something. And sure. uh, I I have experience uh, with this. In fact, I I have a I have a paper. A published paper uh, that uh, that details uh, one of the scripts that I wrote, but I've I've wrote uh, probably like like a like a dozen scripts um, uh, throughout my my career based off of uh, trying to optimize certain like uh, calculating scientific uh, data uh, in various ways. Uh, so I, I I understand coding a bit. I don't understand like 
the internet. As far as I'm concerned, the internet is still magic to me. But yeah, yeah I kind of understand. Yeah, it's it's we. I mean, we used to call it the maze. I don't know um, if they still call it that, but we used to call it the maze. Um, it's it's complex, but in theory, it's not. So essentially, what it is is it's. <laughs> I'm not going to explain the internet, <laughs> but. <laughs> I'll say what it is in principle is many thousands of independent systems all using a common set of protocols to negotiate with each other to move traffic across each other's network. So it's a fully distributed, as fully as you can get, fully distributed system for moving information from place to place. And there's no one, it has no head. No, I, I I know a little bit about um uh sending information. Uh what about uh packet loss? Like is that something that you uh you 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 dealt with? Of course. Um I mean packet it depends on what's causing it, it depends on why why you're concerned about it. Um, there's packet loss occurring all the time. And sometimes you want packet loss because you want signal that there's a problem. So it really, it really depends on what we're talking about. Packet loss is just a packet that is supposed to go from A to B doesn't get there for some reason. And it doesn't get there within a certain time frame. And packets are, I mean, in, with, there are different protocols too. Like generally when we say packet loss, we're talking about a protocol called TCP IP um, or IP in general. But there are other there are other ways of talking about it, but generally, yeah. A packet is just a piece of data um, that's usually numbered. It has a sequence number of some kind, and it goes from place to place. And if, they, if, if these numbers arrive out of sequence, the remote system that's receiving them waits a little while until it can reassemble them in sequence and deliver them to the end user. When I say a little while, I mean like a few milliseconds. But if it, if it doesn't, there's a certain delay. And each system is tuned differently. It depends on the system, but there's a certain delay. And if a packet doesn't arrive within a certain amount of time as expected, it is considered lost and is ignored. So that's packet loss. Put this in relatable terms. Anyone who's ever used Discord or some digital internet communication where this, the other person sounds like a robot, that's basically an example of packet loss happening in real time. That is, that is packet loss in real time. I, I also reason, I, I, I would also like to point out that uh, uh, the thing with Breaker is that actually he has never experienced uh, packet loss. Uh, that's <laughs> that's because uh, he's he is an AI uh, that I keep uh, on my computer, and uh, the the reason why he sometimes robots out is just, it's a glitch in the system. It has nothing to do with the, oh, uh, the nice. connection. Well, I don't know about you, but I drop those packets all the fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to make me look good, gooder than what I am. <laughs> there you go. And that's why, if you think about it for a second, it's intuitive. When you think about what roboting sounds like, you can start to understand why when I say packet loss, there's a delay as the system waits for the packets to arrive, and then it just rejects them if they don't arrive within a certain amount of time. Then if you listen to roboting, you can actually hear that happening. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can, absolutely. And... um. Uh, this is this is actually a a topic that a 
I'm I'm personally interested in, and uh, I I would I would like to nerd out uh, for for a while talking about this, but I know that it's probably probably uh, a little nose probably a little nosebleedy for the audience. Yeah, yeah, it's it's probably not something that uh, generally speaking people want to listen to. So. Um, Didn't we have another news article that some dipshit did something to some other dipshit and fucked some shit up? That's usually what happens in the news these days. Isn't there another <laughs> article like that? Ninety-eight <laughs> 98% of the news right there. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't hyper-specific. I mean, that could be anything these uh, days. Oh, oh, yeah, some retard did something retarded. Yeah, yeah, that happens. Uh, you're not supposed to use that word on YouTube. You mean cognitively differentiated person. <laughs> There's a uh, there's there's a show on Apple TV called uh, Slow Horses, and uh, I was talking mm. I, I was I was talking to my girlfriend. I was like, um, "Yo, uh, tonight you, you want to watch uh, the re- the retarded equestrians?" <laughs> oh, damn it, because <laughs> that's that's what a slow horse would be. It's the retarded equestrians. Oh, uh, oh god, <laughs> it's dumb joke, dumb joke. Uh, oh, oh. Oh. Anyway, so that's that's anyway, so that's yeah. Anyway, so um, so I I I've been playing with the internet for a long time. I understand how it works. I actually understand how it works because I've built pieces of it. I've worked in the maze. <clears throat> I've worked on edge routers and BGP routers and network access points and like I've done all. I've I've worked all up and down the hierarchy, and um, so I actually have a good view on how the sausage was and is made. Yes. Yeah. Well, so I'm I'm kind of curious. Uh, like right now, uh, you have beasts such as a Facebook or a YouTube, who uh, they they tend to uh, I guess censor a lot of things. They're not happy with a lot of things. Uh, now the implementation of this. I mean, that I can understand. You know, they just sift through the pile of videos that they have, and they say, oh, uh, there's a, uh, the word COVID is in the title. We're going to downrank that. I, I experienced that recently. I, I put up a video that had COVID in the title. It got, like, zero views, uh, and I, I changed the word COVID to sick, and it started to climb up again. Uh, I understand how it is that these uh, these companies are... Uh, downranking videos. It seems relatively simple. I'm sure that it's probably more complex than I'm than I'm than I'm understanding. But uh, why why are they so opposed to alternative views? Why why are they doing this? Well, okay. So first, I'll say that when I say the internet, I'm not talking about mere end stations like Google. I'm talking about the actual pipes. Google's just a leaf. <laughs> Google's a leaf on the tree. Google isn't the internet. Google's just an end station. They're just a content provider. They're, ju- they're a big one, but they're not the internet. So that's number one. The internet is still, it's still free. You can still get to wherever. Um, it's just that Google has managed to convince people that search is their province. But if you can find it, you can get to it. Does that make sense? That makes so that, they, that makes total sense. And I, I I feel like what you're recommending to me is that uh, 
I should I should go on to uh, Odyssey or Rumble and uh, ditch the uh, the the Google uh, YouTube thing. I wouldn't say ditch. I'd say maybe you know simultaneously, right? Or maybe do maybe do alt text specials, you know, so that you can just speak freely. But again, those are endpoints. Like the 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 internet the internet has no bias because it's just a packet switching network. And if you can bring up a node, you can serve content within the bounds of whatever laws exist in the area. So all the censorship, none of it is being done under color of law. It's all happening because it's all happening on, on platforms that are entirely owned by business entities. You can make another platform. People are making other platforms. It's just that, you know, Google has captured the half of the phone market. So it's, it's what it is. Um, but and, and they've also engaged in lawfare and all sorts of other dirty tricks to try and prevent other players from rising up. So why they don't want it? Why doesn't any large player want small players to eat their lunch? Large, what do large players do? They try and monopolize a space, right? That that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's. I mean, we could talk about politics. We could talk about all of that, and all of that would be valid. But I think at the base of the well, it's just. They're the big dog, and they don't want to lose to the little dogs that will eat their lunch if they're not killed in the infant stage. Well, but here's the thing, right? Um, let's say uh, you take a platform like like Odyssey or Rumble. Yeah. Uh, they are clearly eating the lunch of Google, uh, at least when it comes to right-wing opinions overall. Now, I I'm not going to say that's that's... A I'm not going to say that's a gigantic market, but it is a market that exists. And right. so if, if Google wanted to, they could snap their fingers and tomorrow uh, all ideas would be acceptable on the platform, but they choose not to. My, I, 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 have, I, have, I have some hypotheses as to why this is. Well, um, but it, it seems to me like, like actually YouTube, Google, uh, is actively allowing, uh, some other smaller platforms to eat their lunch because they just don't want to deal with that aspect of, of dialogue. Well, you, you, when you're talking about Google and YouTube, you're not talking about one monolithic thing. I mean, there's not a person who's making all the decisions. You know, see the CEO can't control everything at Google, even though technically he can, but he doesn't have enough information to be able to control the whole company directly. So it's kind of like he has a small rudder to steer a big ship. So he's at the rudder, but who knows what the hell he's steering and why. The other thing is, why are they even censoring? Why has all this stuff happened? When it's clearly not a good thing, you know, in general. Well, um, it's it's not a good thing to... for their bottom line for their business practice. I mean, I no, at least I, I don't think, think so. You're monopolist. You're more concerned about your politics. You're more concerned about your connections in government than you are with your customers. Mm. So if you're if you own most of the market, and the reason you own most of the market is because you're buddy buddy with uh, certain political entities, then you're going to want to. They're your customer. Like the that's. What we have to realize is that Google's customers aren't the people who watch the videos. And they're not really the advertisers who are paying them. Google's customer is really the political 
class that they align with because otherwise Google would Google is it's it's an information services provider company basically that's it it they do it really well but they're not manufacturing they're not farmers they're not producing spaceships really they're not they're not doing anything in the real real world all their money comes from eyeballs and what's the best way to keep the eyeballs on to keep their monopoly and to make everyone else irrelevant is to align with the political um, some political elements so that they can retain a monopoly that's going to be part of it right well uh, so, so my 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 thinking was that uh uh, perhaps they they did some sort of calculation, and they realized that uh, right-wing views are extremely offensive to people on the left, but left-wing views are only moderately offensive to people on the right. I've and heard this before. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's kind of it's it's a cost-based decision analysis. It's just. Well, if we want to if we want to appeal to the most number of people, then we allow for the left wing stuff and we don't allow the right wing stuff. Right. Um, that would be that would make sense if it wasn't for the for the level of censorship we're seeing. Yeah, like what what you're talking about, General Chief. From my perspective, that would require a bit more of a level of cynical detachment or at least like much more legitimate pragmatism than what the silicon valley elites seem to display there there seem to be certain ideological stances that superficially they seem to sincerely hold now how much of that is sincere and how much of it is just the cost benefit analysis i couldn't tell you but i think there's a bit more sincerity because Whenever someone postulates something that requires, like, near-utter cynicism, I'm usually very skeptical of that because that's not usually how even the most pragmatic of humans operate. Hmm. Yeah. I will, I, I will agree with that, but I'll also say that I, I have also met a number of people who are in high positions and places in Silicon Valley, and a good portion of them, huh, in person, they're fucking creepy. Like when I and, and I'm not talking about the business people. I'm talking about the tech. Some of the tech, the people who actually have behind the some of the people who have behind the scenes influence over this. Um, I'm talking about solipsism and narcissism, narcissism of such a scale you can't imagine. I was talking to a person like this, who I think whose name might be recognized, and I was standing next to me which he didn't know, was a woman who was one of the top neurophysicists. And she and I had been talking about something related to neurophysiology, neurophysics and neurology involving memory. And I was saying to him the, the fact that we don't understand what memory is yet. We've gone through every theory that we can come up with, and none of them seem to pan out. So we're, we're, we're left with the holographic theory, but it's not, that hasn't been proven either. So we're kind of stuck. 
he wouldn't let it go. I, he was an he, he was an he was an AI. He's he's on the AI train, and he said, "Of course we know what it is." Like, no, we don't. And I explained it to him. He wouldn't let it go. And I turned and I said, "X Y Z, you're a neurophysicist. Am I right?" And she and she proceeded to spend the next five minutes explaining how not only was I right, but that it's not just that we don't know. We have no idea how to approach it. That's how mysterious it is. Okay, okay. Actually, uh... he went, and he still just looked at her and looked at me and said, "I don't believe that." Let's uh, let's let's so, let's, let's get off the uh, the the political uh, points for a moment, sure, and um, sure. let's let's get into this because this is something that I I would like to talk about. I okay, memory. Yeah, uh, it. It seems to me as though uh, within the human mind, memory is not a hard drive of data. Memory is a relationship between concepts, and those concepts are, are basically structures that are built into the neural network of the mind. That, um, that's been disproven. That's been disproven. That's it's, there's nothing about memory that's built into the neural network of that's built into the physical neurons of the mind that we can detect. We we can detect. We we know what parts of the brain are active when memory is laid down, and we know what parts are active when it's when people have a recall, and we can kind of get some. We have we have a bunch of information about association and things like that, but where the memories live when we're not accessing them. We don't know. Well, no, it it uh. Fight, it, fight, fight. <laughs> no, no, the uh. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying that's true. No, no, no. Breaker, it. Breaker just likes to say fight, 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 so we can go into more <laughs> of the internet blood sports mode, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I uh, no, I I uh, I I think this is my conception of it. Um. You have, uh, within your neural architecture, yeah. you have a a baseline network that that can understand things. When when you say neural architecture, do you mean physical or physical? Yeah, your physical neural architecture. You have it. You have a baseline architecture that you know, like like you have your your hippocampus. You have you have your occipital lobe. Uh, all, all these sort of things, and then, uh. Something that more or less kind of exists on the neo on the neocortex, but doesn't precisely exist there. Um, that is the thing that can actually run through all of the uh, the structures in your brain and put them together. Right. So basically, uh, what you have is is a is a it's a it's a two it, it's a two layered network. You have a you have a network that exists that is kind of like the subconscious, and then you have a network that exists on top of that network that is the conscious, and it it can't focus on the entire network, but it can focus on certain bits of the network, and that is where let's say human consciousness comes from. At least that that's 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 the way that I try to understand it. So I don't, I don't, I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't, 
I don't think that we know enough to make statements that strong. Well, absolutely, that's a postulation. I, 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 I'm hearing. I mean, we only just discovered axon-axon connection. So, and we're all, we're only just now starting to realize that the cerebellum may have some kind of serious effect on may have something to do with consciousness, not just motor and neural activity. You know, motor activity. So, because the cerebellum has, you probably I don't know if you know this, the cerebellum has more neurons in it than the cerebral cortex. They're just packed more densely. So, and very heavily structured, and it's only now that we're starting to look at the cerebellum as a place of interest. Um, so there's something there, there. Um, there's all sorts of little things like this. And then there's the fact that um, there are quantum structures that exist on our neurons. Oh, the that... microtubules. Yeah. The microtubules, Roger Pinrose, yes, quite. The oxalates. Yeah, the, these things build indeterminacy into the system. And, and we, so... Well, well uh, let, let, me, let me say this. I well, believe that... I, 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 we, don't, we don't know, but we yeah. can... Uh, we can guess, right? And uh, I, I think that the strength of the of the neural network that humans have is that it is both uh, an analog and a uh, digital uh, system. So uh, you have a number of uh, let's say you're dealing with with axons and dendrites, right? So uh, let's say that you have you have a series of uh, of, of uh, pulses that are coming in from axons from other nerves. You are a neuron, and you have a series of dendrites that are connected to all of these. Um, the input is basically analog. You have a threshold by which you fire, and if it doesn't reach that that threshold, then you don't fire. So if that's it, only dendrite connections, right, 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 but. Okay, you 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 could have uh, axon to axon to connections, and that that might so if we're change. Only talking about axon dendrite connections, right? I'm I'm just saying if we're only talking about axon dendrite connections, I'm cool. Okay, well let's let's discuss that first, and then we can get into the uh, the the other types of connections. But uh, science. <laughs> so uh, when it comes to uh, the the neuron itself, it's receiving a multitude of signals. It has a threshold by which it then decides to fire. So let's yeah. say that it's connected to axon. Uh, let's say it's it's connected to other neuron A and B. Um, maybe A fires. That doesn't mean that this neuron fires. Maybe B fires. That doesn't mean this that this neuron fires. If A and B fire, then that means that this neuron fires. So what you have is an analog system that uh, is going in, but the output is digital. It either fires or it doesn't. There's a synergy here between um, the analog and the digital uh, that actually make the neural network function, and I believe that uh, this is like this is also like kind of how modern day uh, neural networks work. You have to have a synergy between the analog and the digital. It's both of those things combined that actually produce the complex behavior that you would expect. Uh, I, well, I, I I think I'm correct here. Well, yeah, I mean, if we're talking conceptually, so yeah, basically, 
the problem with a pure analog system is noise. Mm, mm -hmm. So ultimately, a pure analog system, if it's big enough, will be so noisy it will be unusable. That's why analog pure analog computers never took over the world. They still can do things that digital computers can't do. Um, but after a certain point, the noise is too much that they, they, you don't get signal. No, but it, it, the, the uh, digital computation by itself and analog computation by itself is not enough. You need to have both working synergistically. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and in fact, what's interesting about your point is that there actually is, I forget the name, people can look it up. There's a company that's building um, chips for pur purpose-built for AI that are essentially exactly what you just said, which is little analog circuits that are connected together with digital switches. And they're done. They're doing this specifically because of the reason I suggested, which is analog circuit. The thing they can do really well is solve a specific equation near instantaneously, at no power cost, like very low power. So, like the Boolean logic gates in my synthesizer, yay! <laughs> kind of, yeah. And so, what they're promising to do with these chips is to be able to do certain operations on AI systems at several orders of magnitude less power consumption and faster. Right, right. So, and the, uh, the, see your point. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I see your point. The, the, the whole point is if the system remains analog, then it eventually becomes so noisy it can't be read. But if it's too digital, then nothing essentially natural will come out of it like th there's something about analog systems that are required for nature to function right you need a bit of noise in there it it, it allows for the it, basically it allows for the existence of emergent properties you have to have a bit yeah. of noise in order to gain that function right and also and it, a problem with digital is it runs into insolvent paradoxes because everything is so discrete that it runs into the incompleteness problem and i i i have a yeah, I, I would say <clears throat> people who say that the Planck length is an, is an example of the universe being discrete on a small scale, those people don't understand what the Planck length is. So, <laughs> I, I think I, I think that I understand exactly the point that you're trying to make, but perhaps you you could uh, uh, elaborate that for for the audience. Planck length is the smallest length that we can measure, essentially. Period. <laughs> um that's like quantum wave collapse level small it's yeah it's 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 incredibly small and a Planck length is this, but that doesn't mean the universe is discrete that just means we can't measure anything smaller because we don't have a way to measure we don't know how to do it it's it we we have we we don't not only don't we know how to do it but we don't know of any way to do it or that it could be done to measure something smaller than that so right right and uh i, I mean uh it, it could come down to just um it's just measurement like there, there could be a universe of possibility within a plunk length we just can't measure or detect it and well, it could be influencing other things and we just don't know right right because there there uh there is i guess an uh, i think there's a theoretical upper limit to uh the uh, the energy that can be contained within a particle, and so, like for instance, um, you can detect planets with radio waves, 
but if you want to detect, uh, I don't know, an individual atom, you have to have something with a much shorter wavelength. Uh, you'd be looking at, I mean, uh, something above X-rays, M maybe gamma rays, if you want to, you know, uh, detect a, a particular atom. And so, the the higher frequency of a particle, the higher energy it has, and at a certain point, you can't put more energy into a particle in order to uh, uh, get a measurement of something that is small enough that hits that frequency, I, I guess is what you're saying. It, that's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. So, yeah, so essentially, it's, I mean, it's, it's a little complicated, but yeah, basically, we can't measure anything smaller than that because we have no way to do it because any way that we would do it would saturate the thing we were trying to measure in effect. Affected so much, we wouldn't actually be measuring it. We'd be making it do something. Oh, right. And, and it, it, that also would include the... Um, uh, the the uh, double slit experiment. The, the, the incompleteness theorem, right? Because uh, you can... Uh, well, no, that's a little different. Incompleteness, the incompleteness theorem is just pure mathematical set theory. So that's not physics. But it is. it does have implications for physics but it's it's Godel when Godel created that theory he was coming at it from pure set theory which is why no one's been able to refute it because it just is what it is you know it's set theory and set theory is the foundation of essentially all mathematics that we have and so you know it's 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 what it is but it's not it's right. not what it implies is Something like what you're suggesting, yes. What it implies is that, really what it implies is that there's no way to know for sure if you got the right answer. Right, right, yeah, exactly. And I think that that is, uh, uh, that's actually a very important piece about the universe, uh, given... Uh, my stance of uh, being a uh, naturalistic uh, pantheist. Yeah, so uh, that sounds like an incredibly uh, interesting thing to get into. And in fact, uh, we will get into that on the after show. So uh, with that, uh, yeah, thank you very much, everyone, for uh, listening. Uh, uh, please uh, watch the after show. I think it's actually going to be uh, even more interesting than the conversation that we just had. Uh, with that, uh, I will say to uh, uh, ap, 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 Apocrypha. Apocrypha. Sorry, sorry. I will say to Apocrypha. I was trying to read his name, and I, it wasn't coming to me. That's okay. um, That's stupid, motherfucker. You're not yeah, that no, I am, I'm dumb. <laughs> I am dumb. I know. Uh, but uh, to... Uh, it's Greek for that which is hidden. <laughs> that which is hidden. That which is hidden. Yeah, fuck yeah. Well, we, we are Promethean, which is uh, the, the rebellion. But uh, yeah, with, with that, uh, uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Apocrypha. You were very welcome. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, uh, excellent. Have you and uh, uh, Breaker? Remember to like and subscribe, and every time you do, it's like a microtubial component of the great digital consciousness of humanity forever forcing forward into the future. Ah.